And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football League show. QPR and Coventry suffer blows to their promotion hopes. We look ahead to two massive Friday night matchups and there are managerial movements in League Two as Adams talks himself out of the Bradford job and it's Flynn in at Walsall. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday the 17th of February in our world listener, you find me, Matt Davis-Adams, in the company of EFL Centurion Sam Parkin. Hello Matt. Hello Sam. And it's a long overdue sophomore appearance for the former Rochdale midfielder and current BBC Squad Goals member, Joe Thompson. How are you doing Joe? I'm really well, thank you Matt. Good stuff. Good to have you back. Uh, Let's start today by reflecting on some of the midweek action that's taken place. We'll start, I'm afraid, with the most recent. uh, Peterborough nil, Reading nil. Uh, Sky Sports Live Text probably summed this up nicely at halftime. Not the best advert for League One, uh, quite. They're both going to be in it next season, Joe. Yeah, it was uh, quite an appropriate tweet, wasn't it? And we looked at it, it was predictable. A point for a piece for either side, not good enough. So, yeah, it does look like they're both destined for League One. Pauno still clinging on, Sam. I see that Reading have signed Brandon Barker as a free agent. I think you were with me when we watched him play for, for Man City's youth team against Chelsea and he was kind of vaunted as the next big thing. Not really happened for him, but but there's a player there if they can get a tune out of him. Yeah, he had a loan at Rangers as well, if, if memory serves me right. So, yeah, talented teenager he was coming through, but... It's not uh, transferred it to, to league football as of yet. It's amazing about the Reading manager. I mean, Joe jo will, will have been in dressing rooms when you lose six, seven games and you think, surely it's done me. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's miserable as a player. But for the manager, you think, how can he ride this out? It's eight now, I think, isn't it? And you've had the enigmaty of losing to um, uh, Kidderminster in the cup. It's incredible, really. It, it really is. And, and it looks like, I remember Mick Harford telling a, a downbeat dressing room at Luton that we down tools or questioning whether we down tools. These guys look like there's a bit of that going on because there's some high pedigree players out there, guys that have been away at the AFCON. Danny Drinkwater's won the Premier League. And A.D. Williams, the former Redden centre-half I spoke to last week, I think there's near on 20 players out of contract. And again... Having been in a dressing room, that's not going to make for a very happy unit at, at any stage when people are, let's get it right, footballers look after themselves first and foremost. Of course, if you have an affiliation with a club, you come through there, you've been there for a long period, that changes over time. I, I completely get that and, and that's how it played out for me during my career. But a lot of these players will be thinking about where their next contract is and do they have the fight? for a relegation battle in the wind at London Road uh, midweek. Last night, it didn't look like they had. 
amazing that Peterborough are still kind of in with a shout, Joe, isn't it? Because they've been in, in no form at all. And yet I'm looking at the table. They're only two points behind Reading and they've got a game in hand. So it's going to take some pretty big upturn in form, but they are still able to, to save themselves, which, you know, by all intents and purposes, a team that have won once in the league this year probably ought not to be. Yeah, and even when you look at the game last night, I think they would have been desperate uh, to to get the three points as well because they sat in 22nd, two points behind Reading. And the 16 games left after last night, both teams, like I say, desperate for the win. But Peterborough do find themselves still within a fighting chance of staying within the championship. It's an interesting one. It's going to go down to the wire, I think. Uh, now then, South East versus West London at the Den on Tuesday night. Sam had a dodgy-looking curry. Then watched the team he used to be a lone E4 strike a blow to his boyhood side's chances of promotions. Not your best Tuesday, basically, Sam. <laughs> no, it was quite, what's the word, quite hairy walking back through London Bridge after a night, night game London derby, let me tell you can't really work out who's affiliated to who. Anyway, um, I was um, working, so I kept my head down, made it to the subway. Tube, not in New York. Um, Millwall were brilliant, Matt, to be honest. I thought that the the front three were, were excellent. Oliver Burke went off injured, actually, and was replaced by Tyler Bury, a young lad. He was on loan at Hartlepool early part of the campaign, but there was a real unpredictability about Millwall's front line, and that's probably quite conflicting if you watch Millwall every week because they probably are quite predictable in the way they set up. But the forward line, I thought, were brilliant. Bennett, that's two and two for him. Jed Wallace, the best player on on the pitch by some distance. Bury, excellent. And what a couple of goals. I just thought they were unbelievable goals. The first one, a brilliant team goal. Second one, individual skill from Jed Wallace and Bury finished beautifully. But big contrast between the two sides. You know, Rangers look down on belief uh, maybe the fitness levels Mark Warburton highlighted that you have to match the aggression and the intensity and all that first when you go to Millwall Rangers didn't do that and their quality that they they have more of didn't come out either Chair was quiet Willock was quiet so it's a, it's a real big week I'd say big few days for Mark Warburton to try and just press reset still in a brilliant position but that was miles away from QPR have been this season. They were really poor. When he was the Forest manager, he once said he was asked about a plan B and he said, our plan B is to do plan A better. And that, that worried me a bit. Has he, has he got the ta- the tactical flexibility to, to change things around if, if need be? I don't think it needs to be vast changes. Um, for one, I thought Lyndon Dykes was ever so isolated the other night. And when you've got a tall physical striker, you know, miss out a pass on occasions and, and get it into him. And then get Chair and Willock a little bit closer to him because there was a big gap between those three, I felt, the other night. And, you know, Dykes isn't brilliant with his feet. And I want him to have the option to just lay things off first time, just take one touch and have people flick it into people. When he takes it in, especially against Millwall, they're so on the front foot. They're three aggressive centre-halves. They were nicking it. They were they were out muscling him. He needs to do better in that regard. But I had a bit of sympathy with him from the other night. So QPR aren't going to change hugely. It's just the configuration probably of the, the forward players um, going with the two up front at times, going with the two in behind. They they lost uh, uh, you know players for injury again the other night. So, yeah, I just think it's a real tough day for Mark Warburton and 
and it's a massive game against Hull City at the weekend. I think that's who they've got at home, um, given that they've lost two games against teams they would have expected to take points from. And meanwhile, in South Wales, Cardiff took a, a giant leap towards safety while simultaneously denting Coventry's playoff hopes. 2-0 the score there. Cardiff now 15 points above the relegation zone. This is interesting, Joe. Max Waters replaced on 37 minutes. Steve Morrison said he just wasn't good enough. Is he upset? Yes. Do I want him to be upset? Yes. Does he need to realise what it takes to be a championship striker? Yes. Will we go through it and talk about it again? Yes. Um, always annoys me when people answer their own questions, but it must annoy a footballer when you get hooked <laughs> in the first half and then your manager chucks you under the bus like that. Yeah, can't say I've ever experienced it, thankfully. But, you know, as a as a player, whenever you get dragged off, um, you're disappointed because you want to be out on the pitch having an effect and having an impact on the game. So I do feel for the young boy. You know, he's done ever so well previously at MK Dons and he's got a lot to learn but yeah, it's not ideal when your manager is calling you out. But it's an opportunity for him to, you know, prove his worth and have a positive reaction. Speaking of his manager, I mean, we've got to credit Steve Morrison, haven't we? We mentioned at the time of his appointment, it's pretty awkward, the whole interim till the end of the season thing. He lost Kiefer Moore in January, but these three wins on the bounce at home have been massive for them. As I say, 15 points above the relegation zone. They're not going down now. No, I have to agree. And Steve Morrison will be delighted with the performance. Uh, two goals, a clean sheet and three points. A perfect reaction after losing away to Millwall as well at the Den on Saturday. Blackpool up next, which is always going to be a big challenge. And we spoke about Neil Critchley before. He set them up really well playing good football. But I just have to mention Joel Bagan. What a magnificent goal it was to break the deadlock with his week of thought. And Bagan, it's clever from him to use the right foot. A beauty from Bagan. Left back, right foot. What a moment. A real moment of pure quality for the Cardiff left back. And I think the player there has got a bright, bright future. Deserved man of the match, but made it two and two from wing back. Um, so, yeah, a real player with a lot of potential. And like you say, Steve Morrison off the back of those victories and that home form, particularly at the Cardiff City Stadium, looks like they can start looking up the table instead of over the shoulder. A couple of nil-nils in the championship to finish. The first in the Yorkshire Derby between Sheffield United and Hull at Bramall Lane. Uh, 21 shots, but only three on target for Sheffield United in this game, Sam. Uh, that tells you quite obviously where their problems are at the moment. Yeah, and shows you that they probably wish that Billy Sharp was seven or eight years younger because there's no way that the manager would would have to leave him out considering the vein of format that he's in. But he, he is an elder statesman, probably needs to be managed a little bit. He went with McBurney, who's had something of a, a renaissance in terms of his performances in the last few games, but he doesn't carry the same goal threat. So that's why this game probably finished as it did. Uh, and Dai hasn't scored since the brilliant goal at Fulham. I think seven games ago, uh, Gibbs White is fundamental to their chances of getting in a shake-up this year. He's not got an assist or a goal since he's returned, you know, only three games, but we'll have to wait and see with that. But yeah, it's, they're still going well. They're hard to beat, but I just think that probably sums up their season to this point that there's an over-reliance on Billy Sharp right now when going into this season, we felt they had loads of firepower and it's not actually played out in that regard. 
West Brom nil, Blackburn nil was all the way back on Monday. I mean, whenever you put West Brom on telly, it's never exactly uh, thriller minute stuff, is it? Don't at me, West Brom fans. You know that it's true. Uh, ben Brereton Diaz off injured in this game. Joe, I feel like Blackburn might still make the playoffs. West Brom, though, despite what Steve Bruce says, he's quietly confident they can. They look on the slide to me. Do you think that they can finish top six? If I start with Blackburn, I think they've been a surprise outfit for me uh, in the championship. And Ben Berriton Diaz has been a huge part of that. I know it was an injury blow after 70 minutes and it looked like it was a knock after having a, a goal correctly ruled offside as well. But I think he's done ever so well, particularly when you look at the departure of Adam Armstrong to Southampton. He's had that form with the national team, with Chile as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's offers in the summer. But in regards to Blackburn, they've really got a chance. Uh, and you never, ever know. You get yourself in the mix. And with that experience that Tony Mowbray has got, um, they've got a real chance of getting promoted. As for Steve Bruce and West Brom, for me, it's about just getting a bit of consistency now. I don't know where they're going to finish, but I think with a new manager coming in, his first point on the board, he has got that wealth of experience as well. But I just think there's a lot gone on at West Brom and the fans have really voiced their opinion. I know the attendances are down as well. So I think it's just about getting that momentum to the back end of the season and looking forward to, to next season. We'll see if they can find any momentum. Next today, though, we're going to chat through League One. So, Mr. Raniak, what's troubling you? Well, we've got a, a leak in the dressing room, Doctor. Right, and you want to find out who it is? No, no, I just can't find a good plumber. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, our offers are watertight. So this weekend, get money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Minards 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show that's theathletic.com forward slash league show. In League One, there was a pretty straightforward win for second place Wigan against beleaguered crew. Ah, Joe, they're in a magnificent position, aren't they, Wigan? Five points clear of third place and they've got a superior goal advantage and three games in hand. They're well set to finish top two. They are indeed, and I know another manager that's doing ever so well, Liam Richardson, spoke about it. It was a real professional performance. Um, it took him until the, the second half uh, where eventually Callum Lang popped up with the opening goal after 57 minutes with a, a firm header from James McLean, who's been a catalyst of everything, particularly on that left wing. And yeah, crew never looked like getting an equaliser. Uh, and they did. It looked like they were dead and buried. And I feel for, for David Artel. And then James McLean provided the, the finish here with a thumping second goal to you know put two... Goals clear and, like you say, with a huge game against Rotherham on Friday. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, that game against Rotherham later. Another damaging defeat for Crew. Nine points from safety. Uh, they look in big trouble, but what about Doncaster? Gave their survival hopes a boost by winning at Lincoln. Explain this to me, Sam. Their last three wins have been away at Lincoln, Sunderland and MK Dons. What's that all about? <laughs> There's no explanation from it. I've done, I've done my very utmost this morning. Um, 
I think they've rode their luck, certainly on a couple of the, the occasions, the MK1 and, um, well, Sunderland racked up a number of shots as well. And and again, the other night, John Marquis was a little bit wasteful. Uh, Jonathan Mitchell in goal um, made some brilliant saves. It was the only shot on target, the Doncaster penalty, Dan Gardner. I think the influx of some new players, I said it on a previous podcast, lifts the dressing room. You know, they've now got a, a focal point in, in Griffiths, the top end of the pitch. Um, Martin from Norwich, I think will be a really good acquisition. So I think that's just bred a bit of life into them more than anything. But it's going to be a hell of a recovery to get out of it. It's still six points to AFC Wimbledon. What I will say, though, is they only have one game against um, a side in the top six. They go to, to Wickham. So a lot of points to play for against some of the not-so-good teams in the division. So we'll wait and see, but it's going to be an incredible escape. Yeah, back-to-back home games against Sheffield and Accrington uh, for them next. Speaking of Sheffield and Accrington, their game fell foul of a waterlogged pitch. Uh, Owen Burton beat Bolton 3-1 and Joby McInniff gets a yellow for tipping Bolton in a midweek acker. They were 3-0 down after 18 minutes. <laughs> Shake your head, Joby. Uh, in League 2, the game of the midweek EFL action across the EFL took place at St James's Park. Exeter 4, Harrogate 3, Exeter 2-0 and 3-1 down to win it on 90 plus five. I mean, you can look at this two ways, I suppose, Joe. How, how do you concede three goals at home would be the negative spin on it. But but let's be positive and say this is the kind of win that, that can kickstart, you know, a, a run to the automatic promotion places, can't it? They're, they're right in and around it now. And, and if you win a game that late on, I'm guessing that that's massive for, for dressing room morale. It moves them a point clear of Northampton and into third place. And, and the gaffer will be saying, look, you've shown you can go right to the end, even if you, even if you start poorly. Yeah. I listened to, to Matt Taylor's post-match um, interview and it was a real honest assessment. He said, look, seven goal thrill is amazing, but it was pure carnage. He spoke about the lads look quite tired. Some of them weren't at the races, but to get that 95th minute wonder goal from Jack Sparks as well, outside of the left foot, chip, sensational technique. It's out wide. Can Sparks get shot away? Cooks inside onto his left foot. There's the shot and there's the goal. What a game for the Grecians. What a goal for Sparks up from defence. And what a way to win it. His first league goal of the season. And that does take that momentum into the week. So even if you are feeling tired, um, you want the next game to come. He singled out Sweeney, who said he really led um, his side and they didn't lose the red when they were 3-1 down. And with that team spirit and off the back of that terrific win against Harrogate, the fans really did get their money's worth down at St James's Park. And the, the end of the season is coming thick and fast. And with those games, they will have that momentum, particularly off the back of a last minute winner. Yeah, great goal to win that. Also worth searching for Aaron Collins' goal for Bristol Rovers against Sutton. Uh, so that was the midweek action. We'll talk through some managerial movements next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Uh, now, on Monday's show, we questioned the wisdom of Derek Adams having a pop at his own fans. Well, old Big Mouth has talked himself right out of the Bradford job after the Bantams gave the Surly Scott his walking papers on Tuesday. Katie Wyatt of The Athletic is our chief Bantam reporter. Um, Katie... You've had quite the weekend, haven't you? I mean, I know that you watched a, a dog be sick and then another dog eat some poo. Was that preferable to to what you saw at Valley Parade at, at the weekend? And and how are you? Are you you were Adams in before the sacking? Were you, were you surprised that he got the boot? Were you in favour of the decision? Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite complex. I think I was Adams in not because there was anything particularly redeeming about him, but just because after the years that we've had in terms of I think averaging two managers a season sacking a manager every February since 2018 just it was all of that was becoming very tedious and I think you were sort of thinking well where do we go from here if we do exactly the same and get rid of Adams again so that was my thinking behind him staying but I do think the way that the atmosphere was on Saturday, the fans, a section of the fans chanting for him to to leave and booing him and been very vociferous and very toxic. I think his position had become untenable and it had probably got to the point where if they didn't act now, they were likely to start losing season ticket holders because... I mean, in all of the time I've been following them, I cannot remember a manager that's sort of been as hated as him. Certainly there have been managers that people have disliked and been different towards, but I can't remember a time when there's been such overt and outright hostility towards a manager like that. Just looking at a story in the, the Telegraph and Argus, which is a couple of days old now, but that's got Grant McCann as favourite to be appointed. That would be an amazing coup, wouldn't it, given that, that he's just been in the Championship? It would. I mean, I'm not sure how attractive Bradford is now to managers. This is the kind of weird thing about it. I'm not sure if they look at the situation and and kind of go, well, Gary Boyer was sacked when they were in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Derek Adams has been sacked now with them eight points behind, eight points back from the playoffs. They've been through so many managers. I'm I'm not sure this is something I want to touch or if it's a little bit like the Leeds job was when they championship where manager after manager was like, I can be the one to reawaken the sleeping giant I can be the one to sort it I'll be the one and and if it's attractive in that sense but certainly I think it's attractive in terms of the size of the club and the potential that was realised kind of as recently as 10 years ago when they had amazing cut runs were getting promotions and things like that but I think it sort of depends as well on what the club are after do they want a manager like Adams where they very much put all their eggs in his basket and gave him the keys to the kingdom and he brought his own recruitment staff and were very much riding and dying on the whole cult of Eric Ad- Derek Adams and have him dictate everything or will it be like certain clubs are where you have an overarching philosophy and you get managers in to fit with that idea I'm just not sure I think there's a real confusion over what direction the club is going in just because they have changed tact so many times in recent years. Katie, you, you mentioned those cup runs. Uh, thinking back, it was probably Phil Parkinson in, in charge. Mm-hmm. Has there been any manager that's come in and brought optimism to the support base at all? I think there's been 10 since then. Has there been any period you can think of where actually everyone's been on board in that time? Yeah, I mean, Stuart McCall coming in as the replacement for Phil Parkinson was probably the most optimistic era 
Um, there was a team that played very, very good football. They obviously reached the playoff final, lost to Millwall. So that was probably the happiest it's been since then. I think the problem was all of that was kind of asterisked with the reality of the or the former owner, Edin Rahic, being there and the stories that were coming out about him. Lots of conflicts behind the scenes and he obviously left then and, and pulled out and went back to Germany. Um, and since then, there's just been so much instability. Managers haven't stayed long. I think Simon Grayson summed it up very well when he said his time at Valley Parade was months that felt like years. That's how it is for a lot of managers. They had a 32-year-old head coach who only lasted, I think, 70 days or something like that. So it's just been very, very chaotic. And I think more than that, uh, it's been very almost directionless or certainly confused in terms of, well, what is the overall plan? Where are we going from here? And I think when Adams came in over the summer on a three-year deal, a lot of fans felt a sense of relief, not in terms of just getting approved of manager, but just in the, the feeling that, right, we have got something here. We've got a vision. We know exactly what's going to happen within this next three years. And now we're back to phase one where it's, well, where do we go? Who do we appoint? What do we do? And I think just that lack of clarity in the long-term vision has certainly just been the underlying feeling over the last few years. Katie, I've just got a question there in regards to that overall philosophy. And I listened to Chief Exec Ryan Sparks stating about that different direction. Does that then need to come from above and maybe bring in a, a younger manager, the likes of, you know, Jonathan Woodgate's circulating and having spells at Borough and Bournemouth, an opportunity for a young manager to come in under a board that have got this new direction. What do you think about that? Um, perhaps. I mean, been in the past, they had when Edin Rahic was here, was very insistent on, I'm going to have a role a bit like a director of football and I want to play this style and I want X, Y, Z to happen. And I think that the problem was the way that he went about it from the stories that you heard from people inside of the club was that he was a bit too much of a dictator and wasn't flexible enough and wanted to have too much of a role in the football. Um, whereas the idea of having a director of football who dictates the style isn't such a bad thing. Obviously, it's the kind of bad Barcelona style to use the very famous example is the kind of iconic one that's lasted for, for generations and it would be terrific if there was something like that of just in a concrete stable philosophy that we could all buy into but it just needs to be done in the right way and I think it's very interesting a lot of the names that people have been getting optimistic about Jonathan Woodgate one that you mentioned there Lee Johnson who obviously had terrific success at Bristol City you just kind of think as a Bradford fan is it going to be too big of a drop or is the instability around the club going to put them off. Um, the interview that you mentioned with Ryan Sparks, he was saying that they've had over 100 candidates applying already within the first day, which would suggest that people are not put off. But I think it's something that as a fan, you're always kind of worried about. Yeah, because it's not all doom and gloom, is it? You know, 11th, eight points off Newport, who are in the final playoff position. If you are a manager, you have that opportunity to potentially get that initial reaction. And who knows what it can lead to at the, the back end of the season. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that Ryan Sparks mentioned in his interview that that was the reason why they'd chosen to act now and get rid of him because they very much didn't feel that the season was over. And I think that the defining thing for a lot of Bradford fans was that 2013 season where Phil Parkinson's side were 11 points off of the playoff at a similar stage after the cup run when they'd not won a league game for ages and still managed to sneak in at the last minute and get into the playoffs and get promoted so there's very much evidence that this can happen I think that the problem is that the form that they've been in at the moment doesn't offer 
much hope of that, I think. Um, and, and as well, lots of other teams have game in hand. So that's the worrying thing. And I think a lot of fans at the moment, Mark Truman has come in as caretaker and he's a very safe pair of hands who they won't go down under him. They're not in danger of that. But I think a lot of fans would probably rather take giving up on this season and just taking the right time to get the right manager in and really thinking about that appointment and make sure that is right. Well, Katie, look, we hope that not all of those 100 applicants are, are just based on their, their football manager CVs and, and some of them are actually <laughs> decent coaches and you get half a chance of getting a decent gaffer in. Thanks so much for your time today. We'll speak to you again soon. Great, thank you. Bye. Katie White there, read her only in The Athletic. Another managerial move in League Two seen Mike Flynn appointed as Walsall boss, succeeding the deposed Matt Taylor. He said it's a club that wants to go in the right direction. And that was key for me. Uh, Sam, this is a great appointment for, for Walsall, but might Flynn be a bit disappointed that this is where he's landed? It wasn't long ago he was being linked with Cardiff and Barnsley. No, I, no, I think there's there's potential at Walsall, but... You know, a lot of that's got to come from above. I think it's, a, again, a conversation we've had a lot on this podcast. The direction of the club, the the match day experience, the ambition. You know, even when I was there, I don't want to wheel out the cliche, but you felt like you were in the shadow of the other bigger clubs in the West Midlands. And it's a good training ground. Um, obviously, geographically, not a problem for, for signing players, etc. So... <laughs> He's got a good opportunity there if he's backed. If he's backed with an opportunity to bring some better players in, because I thought that's where they let Matt, let Matt Taylor down, whether that's Matt or it's Jamie Fullerton who's in charge of the recruitment. The squad's clearly not good enough, especially in attacking areas this year. Real lack of goals, creativity. But what I like about Mike Flynn, I like Mike Flynn straight away because he was, he was very good fun, very lively to play against. He's, he's charismatic. He's taken that into his management and they were as direct as you can get Newport a few years ago. It was very back to front, reliant on set pieces. And all of a sudden, one summer, he came back and went, you know what? I'm going to rip that up and we're going to play completely different football. I'm going to put a centre half, an extra centre half in there. We're going to pop the ball around, dominate possession. And he had great success with that as well. Two playoff finals, couldn't get over the line, but already has shown tactical flexibility he'll know two ways of playing to garner results um he's got decent experience so yeah it, it, it looks like a good fit if anything I think his character will strike a chord with the supporters because he's that type of bloke uh Joe I'm fascinated to get your opinion on this next story James Vaughan named Tranmere Sporting Director we, we were surprised when he retired he's only 33 doing a master's course in sporting directorship and so are you yeah so am I I've got the big dissertation the final one so um I'm first of all I'm delighted for him I know he's finished up at Tranmere and to get that role as sporting director's great he's had a great career but yeah only 33 um a few too many injuries during his career I remember we all remember it that when he burst on the scene for Everton but it's a new challenge and I think for for me what's really poignant is the fact that he's readied himself for the transition would I say I'm ready to go into a sporting directorship role anytime soon? No. Um, but yeah, credit to him for the courage and the bravery and to the club for 
giving him the opportunity. So I'll keep a close eye on that one. So what is it for you that appeals about that job rather than, say, you know, coaching in an academy or coaching the first team? Uh, I do a lot of work now in leadership uh, with corporate companies and that for me was the bridge. So whether I could look at it from a football perspective and I know a lot of ex-players like the idea of it, but I didn't want to go into that position not having the the business now um, and experience. So I've never had the desire really to, to get on the, the grass uh, when I finished football. But that mindset and that leadership side of things was really the, the key thing that fascinated me with the sporting directorship course. I think we'll see a bit more of this, Sam, with, with players these days going into a kind of administrative role mm. rather than a coaching one. Yeah, I mean, only this week it sounds like Mark Noble might be directing uh, that that heading that way as well at West Ham. So I think like any of us players that come out of professional football, it's about learning again straight away, putting the, the years in. People listening may, because of the quality on display today, may think I just wound up in this position, but <laughs> it, took, it, it took a few years, you know, to get to the co-commentating and, and such like of of learning a new industry for, for me. And obviously Joe's doing something similar in a different field and the coaches, you know, very few of my peers, my friends uh, have walked into a managerial job in the football league. The majority of them have done five or six years where you're doing a lot of paperwork and well into the evening, logging sessions, taking under eights, under nines, under tens, whatever it is while you're doing your badges. So when we come out of the game, it's, it can be quite a long process, you know, four, five, six years or whatever. But so James Vaughan will be fortunate that he's probably got those personal relationships. Of course, he's studying as well. But to answer your question, Matt, yeah, we probably will see more of it. And am I envious? I certainly am. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to do something like that. But it's probably about getting the qualifications and um, and starting again in a different field like James has done. Well, I tell you what, find out the identity of that kid that sent 26p to Harry McCurdy and I reckon Swindon will, will give you a job uh, fairly soon. Uh, elsewhere, The Athletic revealed this week that Sunderland chairman Kyril Louis-Dreyfus only has a 41% ownership of Sunderland, meaning that the previous owners, Stuart Donald, Juan Sartori and star of Sunderland Till I Die Season 2, Charlie Methan, still own the majority of the club, all of which has further irked the supporters at the lack of transparency, uh, which was one of the things that Louis-Dreyfus originally promised wouldn't be an issue and the life of a Sunderland fan is never dull. Right, next today we'll look ahead to some of the weekend's key clashes. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Big game in the promotion race in the championship on Friday night as Bournemouth host Nottingham Forest. Uh, we'll start with Bournemouth. Joe as they're the home team. Stung by that capitulation and humiliation against Boreham Wood. They've won their last two since then. And it's been a good week for them without playing, hasn't it? Because Blackburn dropped points. QPR lost. It, it means that Bournemouth come into this six, ga- six points above the playoff pack. And, and they've got this newfound resilience, which we spoke about on Monday. Yeah, and I think they arguably that cut result has shocked them, and it's been a bit of a reality blow. And I think for for Bournemouth moving forward under Scott Parker, he's never, you know, questioned where they want to take it and that ambition. They reinforced as well massively in January with Kiefer Moore and Shariki Dembele from Peterborough as well, and a few other signings. So. They really do have their eyes on getting promoted. You look at Fulham, they've been terrific. And with Mitrovic up top, they literally are going to be in another league in no time at all. But Bournemouth are writing in amongst it and they do have that gap from the, the chasing pack. They will be without Jefferson Lerma here, though. He serves the second of a four-game ban. Uh, Forest-wise, Sam, I remember last season, almost said we then, which is not very professional, but hey, we got Destroyed here, 2-0, totally played off the park. Really, really depressing night for Forest supporters. Just looks so far away from Bournemouth. The future looks utterly hopeless. We know that Steve Cooper has changed all that. Two points off the playoffs. Stoppage time goals in each of the last three league games tells me that that they're fit and that they go to the end. But I'm worried here because Brees Samba suspended. Ethan Horvath will come in. His last game was Chris Hewton's last game against Middlesbrough and he chucked one in then. So that, that's going to be a big miss for Forrest for the next few games. It's only a big miss if he's not any good. Um, so it'd be interesting how the, the lads in the squad feel about it because if you've got a, a very able deputy, it shouldn't be too much of a problem for Forrest. So we'll wait and see how that goes. I remember the game you're talking about because I think Harry Arter played as a number 10 that night for Forrest and I just sat there in the stand behind closed doors. I had a particularly vociferous member of the Forest hierarchy stood up behind me shouting in not very favourable terms towards his team for the majority of the game. So it probably was a real low, you know, that they'd sunk to that night. So yeah, looking back, it's interesting that you've highlighted it and yeah, they're in much better Fettel now, um, 13 goals in the last 10 minutes of games. That's the most um, in the division. But only won two games um, against teams in the top 10, which I think, you know, if they can just improve on that, they will definitely cement their position in the uh, in the top six. But obviously, you know, it means there's no real margin for error when they're, they're coming up against the, the lesser sides in the division. So if they can just improve on that, just the wins at Huddersfield and and recently against Blackburn that they've had against the, the bigger sides in the division. So we'll see what they can do on this day. And I just thought, what an occasion for Steve Cook going back to you know club he served for 10 years. He's been absolutely brilliant for Forrest, by the I way. I would say, absolutely Matt. Sensational. I would say going out, on one here, I think he's probably better right now than Gary Cahill and Nat Phillips and maybe even Lloyd Kelly at, at championship level. Not to say that he's been anywhere near the level of, of Cahill um, com, you know, previously in terms of what he's done. But I think Steve Cook's a top championship defender. So 
I just think some of the Bournemouth fans will be looking at him and thinking, oh, we, we wish we still had his services to call upon, but he's obviously gone and got a longer contract at Forest and he's got a great opportunity with them. It's um, it's going to be a, a brilliant game. I would probably think it may, may be a draw. That's what I'd probably go for. Really looking forward to it, which usually means that Forest are about to get beaten. Uh, so that's at the top. Big game at the bottom, mind you, between Derby County and Peterborough. Uh, Joe, let's talk about Derby County without mentioning what's going on off the pitch, if that is even possible at the moment, because I think we've done it to death. Um, on the pitch, beaten heavily at Middlesbrough last weekend, albeit, as we said on Monday, with some caveats, a couple of lucky goals there, and Borough maybe should have had a player sent off. But it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see how they respond to the adversity of that, but also, as we've mentioned before, the, the fact that now there's not an expectation that they're going to stay up, but because there is hope it adds a different kind of pressure to it, doesn't it? Because before we were saying, oh, well, you know, they're going to go down. They, they can kind of play with a bit of pressure off. But that's not the case now because they, they're in the mix to stay up. They are. And, you know, when you look at that points deficit and where, where it took them initially, um, Wayne Rooney and the squad that he's assembled there have done an unbelievable job to give themselves a fighting chance of getting in and around it. And it all looked really good last week. 3-1 win against Hull City. Again, a bit of reality check against Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough, like you say there, getting beat 4-1. But if you could take points off your, your rivals down at the bottom, that's huge. And it is a six-pointer, although it's early on in the game. And yeah, Derby versus Peterborough is going to be a massive game. Uh, just looking at, at the league table, Sam, uh, for Peterborough, the, the main problem seems quite obvious. They've scored 23 goals and conceded 60. They need to tighten up at one end and be a bit more free freewheeling at the other. Yeah, I was just thinking what Darren Ferguson will be thinking this morning and what he'll be talking to his staff about, because clearly in the last couple of games, they've they found a better formula defensively. You know, last night I thought there were some really good performances. Kent and, and Thompson's been in in fine form. The goalkeeper Bender made a couple of decent saves. So they've they've sorted it at one end, but going forward, I thought that diminished their threat going to the back four. Um, nobody really got up. Similar to the Dykes conversation uh, or the rant I was having earlier. Um, no one gambling behind Clark Harris, you know, if it came into his feet, there's not an attacking midfielder who wants to join in. They're all a bit safe in that position. There's some good tenacity and, and ball winning skills. but And he has played a 3-4-1-2 and had success on a few occasions this year. Poku playing centrally. You've got Schmodix, you've got Marriott, you've got Morton now. There's options there for him, but it's not really bad fruit. So... I think he's probably sitting in the office this morning going, I've tried absolutely everything. I've tried everything. And I think sometimes that's probably the conversations that go on. We all think they're uh, tactical geniuses, but sometimes you might just not have enough quality in the dressing room. And that's probably what it looks like with Peterborough this season. That said, I thought there was some good performance in that in that Reading stalemate defensively. I thought Ward slightly further forward with his delivery from set pieces is a big asset for them. So I would imagine it'll be more tinkering from Dan Ferguson and hoping that they can they can get one over a, a team that they're in a fight with. And, you know, they, this is where their points are going to come from. They're going to come at home and they're going to come against teams that are, are struggling in the bottom half because they've shown this season that they can't really take it QPR aside to the top teams in the division. 
Uh, easy to guess which League One games caused that, right? Goes down in New York, sort of, on Friday night as the top two meet with Rotherham hosting Wigan. Uh, Joe, I love this quote from, from Paul Warren, who we're a big fan of on the show. After the weekend win against Sheffield Wednesday, I'm pleased, but I'm not going to get a tattoo or anything. Uh, they've won their last five games to nil. What's it going to take to make him happy enough to get a tattoo? A promotion, simple as that. <laughs> no, he's demanded more, hasn't he? And it was a real good performance against Sheffield Wednesday. You know, Yorkshire derbies, Freddie Ladapo and Michael Smith being the difference as they have been on numerous times. But yeah, we spoke about Peterborough's form recently and trying to stop goals going in at that end. Rotherham have got the perfect, perfect recipe at the moment because they're scoring goals, free-flowing, and they're keeping clean sheets. They battered Doncaster away as well, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago, 5-0. Convincing against Crew as well. So I think promotion, and I don't think he'll still get a tattoo. I really think he's refreshing as well. Honest. And any time I speak to any of the players or the lads there, they love him. They talk about those man management skills, and he really does get that connection with him on a personal level. And you can see that from the performances on the pitch. Yeah, gets a lot out of them too. We had uh, Chidozi Ogbeni on the show a few weeks back and he was telling us how hard training is if you're a Rotherham player. Magnificent hats as well, Paul Warren. We shouldn't, shouldn't forget that. Wigan though, Sam, best away record in the league. Win here would move them to within three points of Rotherham and they'd have a, a game in hand. Anyone in particular stood out for you, for them of late? I think Joe hit the nail on the head earlier with McLean, actually. Yeah, I think the last the last two games, he, he changed the system for that Charlton game and he played left of a four, uh, midfield four, and then he, he played at left back against against Crew and obviously assisted and, and got a goal. So I think he's been a really good signing, good source of creation down the, the left-hand side. I think Will Keane, getting back fit, he is vital to, to their chances. They just stumbled... Uh, over a three-game period and he got injured in the first one, three games that they didn't win for. So I think he's vital. But, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between these two sides. They're both very physically strong, organised. Um, I think Liam Richardson's probably playing a slightly more direct style at the moment, maybe partly because of Keane and, and McGuinness he's got at the front. The pitch is dreadful at Wigan as well. Um, and I just think he's got... And he signed at the start of the season players that know the level, um, steady players, experience um, to get them out of this division. And we may see Wigan evolve again and play a more easy on the eye style if they do get promoted. But right now, they're just a bit of a machine. One defeat in, in 15 and coming up against the well, the unbelievable, um, unbelievably best side in the division, it's going to be incredibly tight. And the reverse fixture was 1-0, Will Keane in injury time. And I would imagine it will be something similar. Uh, the League 2 game we're going to look at takes place at the Peninsula Stadium. It's Salford against Crawley. I want to kind of look at this through the lens of the, the two managers. Sam, we we ought to give the class of 92 and, and whoever else is in charge of Salford these days a bit of credit, haven't we? Because we, we've had a few digs at them over the last couple of years, which is what you do with, with moneyed clubs generally. But we were assuming they'd get rid of Gary Barrier at some point. They, they've stuck with him. And all of a sudden, they're four points off the playoffs, unbeaten in three, one, two of those, back-to-back clean sheets. They, they might still sneak in. Yeah, I think once they allowed him to, to bring some new players in, you, you kind of got a stick rather than twist at, at that stage. And 
I think there's been three wins in six games since Matt Smith and, and one or two others came to Salford. So for, for me, looking at Salford, it's always been a bit of a, an issue going forward. Defensively, they've been one of the best sides um, consistently in the division. I think there's only uh, three teams with better defensive records this campaign and, and recently not shipping any goals at all. So... It's just about getting consistent scorers. And we fought McElhenney and, and Henderson on the face of it. Obviously, Joe will know uh, Hendo well. And, and McElhenney had this unbelievable season last year at Oldham. They've scored two goals apiece. Um, so that, that's been a big issue for them. And, and, you know, more than anything, it's just, I think, sticking with a group of players, um, trying to bed in a, a way of playing and sticking to a plan because you kind of from month to month, you don't really know what you're going to get from Salford. So they're giving themselves an opportunity. They're better away from home. So I'd be really interested to, to see how they go this weekend because I've kind of put my eggs in their basket every every season since they've been up and it's uh, it's faltered quite badly. Um, Joe, you are a resident psychologist. You're a motivational speaker. No, no, no. You're a man of many, <laughs> many talents. I wonder, therefore, what do you make of John Yem's post-match misery? It's been it's been prevalent in recent weeks. Is he kind of is that just the the persona that he wants to adopt? We had him on the pod earlier in the season, and it was one of the most fun interviews that we've done all year. But he was he was back to old school Yemo last week in terms of just utter utter misery. Did, does that work as a message to supporters and players? Can can you understand why he goes that way? Is he just thinking honesty is the best policy, and this is who I am? That's it. He's being transparent, isn't it? I think if we look at it from a managerial point of view, as long as that message to the media and the outside world is the same to the players in the changing room, then you can't argue. It's when you go into changing rooms and the manager's saying one thing and Sam, I'm sure you would have been in this position and then he goes out and says another thing where you're like, right, well, what does he want from us? But yeah, he uh, never lets us down with those honest assessments. He speaks his mind and sometimes he can go a little bit over the top. But I think the inconsistency for Crawley is what is really um, getting on his nerves. Last week, uh, last Tuesday, great 3-1 win against Harrogate away. Whereas, you know, losing to Hartlepool at home, he would have expected three points so that inconsistency seems to be the the thing that's really getting under his skin but the man knows his way around the carvery go back and listen to the uh, the interview we did with him if, if you want the full details of that all right it's high time we got some odds courtesy of paddy power here represented by producer abby abby what have you got for us Yes, Matt, I'm going to run through those fixtures that we've just been previewing here. And let's start with the championship because Sam was saying he thinks a draw between Derby and Forest is uh, most likely. Well, Paddy Power are actually saying that uh, the Cherries are likely to win this one. They are 5-4 to four on to beat Forest. The draw, though, more likely than a Forest win at 12-5. to five. Forest coming in at 7-2. to two. Sorry, Matt. Uh, meanwhile, between Derby and Posh, it's again the home side who are the favourites here. They are 17-20 to 20 to win this one. Uh, the draw 23-10. to 10. And a posh 10-3 to, to win this one. So again, the draw more likely than the away side. 
to win this one. Now, between Rotherham and Wigan, despite the fact that uh, Rotherham haven't beaten Wigan since about 2016, I believe, Rotherham are the favourites. They do lead the league after all. They are 19 to 20. Rotherham, uh, Wigan are 3 to 1 and the draw 23 to 10. And finally, into League Two, where it's Salford versus Crawley and it's uh, Boya versus uh, Yemo and uh, Boya, the favourite here. Uh, evens for Salford to win, 13 to 5 for, for uh, Crawley and uh, 23 to 10 for a draw again. Lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, regular listeners will be thrilled to know that it's the return of our occasional quiz on the pundits' careers. Uh, just one question each. Joe, you're up first. Abby's already told me that this is a ridiculously hard question, so don't worry too much if you don't get it. Right, OK. Uh, right, you'll remember the 13th of March 2010 very well because it was on that day you scored the winner for Rochdale away to Shrewsbury. In goal for your Dale side that day was Frank Fielding. How many England under-21 caps did Frank win? Oh, wow. It really is a hard <laughs> question. I remember the goal, so that's a good thing. Of course um, you did. Yeah, come did on. Give him a, a window. Substi- no, come on as a substitute, though, so I wasn't very best pleased, but had the reaction. I think it was first touch. Frankie Fielding. Ah, I will give you a window here. Five, Sam, Sam's right. Five or six. Four. Okay. Go okay, on, go give on, me a window. Oh, okay, your window is between five and 15. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with six then. I'll okay. Go with six. I, I did all I could for you then, the Joe, but it was 12, I'm afraid. Ah, right. Okay, more. <laughs> You're going to give me some stick now, no doubt, if he listens to this. <laughs> uh, Abby says, Do you know who you scored past? No, I don't. I just remember who set me up. Um, I'll have to have a look at the pictures. <laughs> I don't know who was in there. Apparently, it was David that, Button. He was at West Brom. Right. Frank Fielding's yeah. currently at Stoke. So both still. Yeah, both the game. of them went on to have great careers. Mm, yeah, I mean, your quizzing career has not got off to a brilliant start. No, there we go. No. Uh, <laughs> right, Sam, here's yours. Uh, remarkably, you only played against Rochdale twice in your storied career. The second time was a 1-1 draw for Luton back in 09. You hopped off the bench for the last 13 minutes. In the Rochdale attack that day was one of the most beloved EFL acronym-based ballers, Adam Lafondra, a.k.a. ALF. 35 years young, still playing. I want to know, which Aussie A-League side is he currently turning out for? I think I, I have seen him score when he first went over there. Classic. I want to say Brisbane Roar, but I don't like think that. it is. So I'm going to go for a Sydney team. I think he plays in Sydney. He's got it. He's got it. He has got it. And they're just yeah. called Sydney FC as well, so he didn't <laughs> Oh, to, uh, thank you. Play. One nil. To it. He's got two goals in 21-22. Uh, he was out on loan at Mumbai City last year. What a brilliant life that is. Eh? You go from Stockport to Rochdale to Sydney to Mumbai. Uh, I did want to be James Vaughan, but I've changed during the, the podcast. <laughs> uh, if you like quizzes, by the way, the Intertotally is back this year this is mean Abby says plug the intertotally who you're playing and how badly you'll do now there's been an agenda set against me in the intertotally for the last few years I've drawn Michael Cox for two years in a row what are you going to do about that beat Rory Smith last year by the way off the New York Times 
pretty learned guy, cerebral thinker. No match for old MDA. So let's see how I get on against Julian Laurence in my first round of matchup. And that'll just about do it for us today, though. Many thanks to Joe, to Sam, to Abby, to Katie for joining us earlier too. And to you listening, we'll catch up with you again on Monday when we'll go through all the weekend's news and notes. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.